All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Michael. And last episode, we tackled Rebuilding the Walls. Rebuilding the Walls, which was the first chapter in Prepare to Overcome, which was written by uh, Debbie Simpson, or I should say penned by Debbie Simpson. And uh, if you want to check out that, it's an episode right before this one. Uh, but in this episode, we're going to be talking about the second chapter of Prepare to Overcome, which is also Preparing the Saints. There was a workbook that came out prior to called Preparing the Saints. In this workbook, it's going to be the first section of Prepare to Overcome. So without further ado, we're going to be talking about the second chapter, and that's called The Kingdom of God. Now, I've got the workbook in front of me right now, and I'm staring at a picture. And in this picture is a pawn. Now, that pawn is a white pawn. It's clothed in white, I'd like to say. But the reflection of this pawn in the chessboard is a king. Because what Jesus said is, the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's tangible. That also means the question was, is where is the kingdom of God? And he said, it is in your midst. And in your midst means inside of you. That's where the kingdom of God resides because you become the temple of the Lord. Now, to explain this further, I've got Debbie Simpson on the line, and she is going to be walking us through this chapter in Preparing the Saints, which is the workbook, and also in her book called Prepare to Overcome. All right, Debbie, take it away. Thank you, Adam. Yes, the second chapter of Preparing the Saints, the Kingdom to the Kingdom of God, was written because we needed to create a foundation that would help the believer to understand and walk in confidence the truth that were revealed in the book of Matthew through Jesus. In addition to knowing and understanding the gospel of Jesus, we must recognize that in the book of Matthew, much of the ministry of Jesus was revealing the kingdom of God, what it looked like, how it was brought in, and indeed that we were instructed to do so. And that's something that does, again, does not commonly get taught among the, the believers in the church. The idea of the kingdom of God being a tangible part of a believer's walk is not commonly understood, and it's very often neglected. And yet it was Jesus' primary purpose to open the door to this kingdom and to teach through example and parables every believer's active role in this kingdom as a genuine bona fide citizen. As he instructed, our interaction within this kingdom, Adam, was never intended to be put off until after death and enjoyed in the eternal realm. But it was rather, by virtue of dual citizenship, the bridge between the kingdom of God with the realm of man and to manifest God's kingdom on earth and to glorify God among men. And that is the reason we go into in-depth with these scriptures so that this can be something that can be confidently understood. We see in Jesus's command in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And what gets missed in this 
command here is all that Jesus commanded. And I don't know if believers today look closely at the book of Matthew and see that the commands of Jesus go, you heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead. And when these things happen, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. So when we look at this verb tense, this is a present tense infinitive mood and active voice. What that means, it's present tense. It means this is an action that begins now and continues in the future. It's always in process. Infinitive mood means it's never not being done. And the active voice means the, the subject does the action. The action. So Jesus is saying you. He's saying to those who would be called his disciples, you go and do everything that I commanded you. You're always doing everything that I commanded you. You are never not doing everything that I commanded you. And as believers, we do a lot of things that we think are walking in obedience to the Lord with different ministries in the church. And though they're good and though they're well-meaning, they are not, if they are not what Jesus commanded, healing the sick, cleansing the leper, casting out demons, well, then this verse is not being obeyed. And so the kingdom of God then, by default, is not being brought in. So we see in Matthew 3, 2, that John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. He says, repent ye therefore, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what is this kingdom then? God's kingdom is a domain with a government. God's government executes rulership and authority, and it has jurisdiction. It's the king's domain, and it's anywhere the will and work of God is in effect because it's God's kingdom. This definition is true of any kingdom on the earth and um, any kingdom that is being, that is being walked in. So what we want to see is that um, the, in the word or in the scriptures, the word gospel is used in two different contexts. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the gate to the kingdom of God, and we have the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is the way someone operates once they're in the kingdom. So what we see here as we go through these different verses and see what they are reflecting, if a believer were to walk in the fullness of all this, is that um, we are bringing in or executing the kingdom of God, and it's the way that we would live or operate once we're in the king's domain. God is our governing authority. We are subject to his rulership and responsible to reflect and enforce his governance wherever we are. We're to establish God's rule on earth, even as it's reflected in heaven. We see this in Matthew 6, uh, 6.10. So what I like to say to people is that believing God's word puts us in a position to receiving the gospel of Jesus and doing God's work puts us in a position to bring in the, the gospel of the kingdom of God. So this is the purpose as we go through this chapter to understand the fullness of what all of this is trying to bring the believer to an understanding of. Again, this takes us back to Nehemiah and our walls, the walls of God, Shamar, the word of God. It's the protection. As believers, we can only operate in God's kingdom 
as he intends us to operate, if we do or if we keep his word, as even as Jesus said, go ye therefore and do keep all that I have commanded you. So when we do or we keep his word in totality, then we're operating in his kingdom as he intends. The question that everyone has to ask themselves, Adam, is twofold. And this is just for every person. One, do I believe what the scripture has to say regarding the kingdom and my place in it? That's, that's the first step. That's the first question. And we all have to ask it. The second is, if I do believe it, then will I walk in it? Because only if the answer to these questions is yes, will the believer be able to continue the journey as laid out in the subsequent sections and chapters of this book to walk in the fullness and become the royal priesthood. The royal priesthood are those among God's people who are instituting his kingdom on earth. So um, it is in believing these truths that is the equipping to walk it out. And, you know, this brings me to another point, the whole word belief. And it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. We see in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, says, uh, Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you with an unbelieving heart. Be encouraged for as long as the day draws near, and do not harden your hearts. And um, God goes on to say that, because of the hardness of their hearts, they could not enter his rest. He goes on to say that um, in, in Hebrews, in verse 18 of chapter 3, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were not able to enter rest because of their unbelief. And that word believing is twofold. It is believing the veracity or the truthfulness of everything that was made known about Christ and everything that was made known through Christ. Adam, I would submit to you that every believer out there does a really, really good job believing everything that was made known about Christ. There would be no argument in a Christian circle that he was prophesied to come, that he was the promised seed, that he was born of a virgin, that he was the manifested presence of God on earth, that he came to do the Father's will, that he died for the propitiation for sin and redemption and for reconciliation. No one's going to argue that. Those are the truths that were made known about Christ. But where a lot of the you know, the, the, the differences in believing and understanding is everything that was made known through Christ. What was made known through Christ? Well, he said it. Everything was made known through Christ is everything relating to the gospel of the kingdom of God. How often did Jesus say, no, what is the kingdom of God and to what shall I liken it? What is the kingdom of God and what parable shall I speak to show you what the kingdom of God is all about? This is a really, really big deal. So we want to look at this again. Take it to the prayer chair. Take it to your oracle and ask, ask the Lord, show me the truth revealing, revealed in your word. Is what this book is saying, is this true or is this not true? Because um, ultimately, 
the issue, once again, goes back to overcoming. It goes back to a walk in victory. This is something the believer needs to settle in their heart. The journey starts in the oracle because it is here that every believer hears from God himself for themselves. And by reason of this, they will have the confidence to believe the truth revealed. You don't want to believe something because somebody told you something. You want to believe it because God said it in his word. And he confirmed it in this prayer chair or in your prayer chair with him or in some other way. And as we go through this, a lot of people have frustrations because the whole idea of warfare and spiritual warfare seems so overwhelming. But as we go through this, knowing this whole idea of government and God's kingdom, knowing this is foundational to understanding why all that God reveals in his word will be true regarding a believer's identity and his authority, his place, and his purpose. Because as with any kingdom and with any domain, there is a government through which laws and regulations are established and regarding how the kingdom is run with corresponding rights and privileges and responsibilities for its citizens that characterize both the king and his kingdom. And this is stuff that's common knowledge when you're talking about countries or nations. Well, it began with God. He was the original kingdom. What we see on earth is nothing more than a, you know, an, a, a, a government pattern that was established after the original in heaven. So these are things that help us when we see this to understand where we're at and why we're here. So in, like I said, like inherent in these words to overcome these words, victory, which we're getting thrown around a lot as we're going through this book. Inherent in this is the understanding of an existing war. God and his kingdom are in perpetual holy war, and no one would argue that. But by default, its citizens are at war as well. Unbelief in, fear of, or distaste for the battle will not exempt God's, king, God's people from the reality of its existence. For it is Satan's desire to war with both God and his people and to bring them destruction. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Surprise, surprise. When we engage as kingdom citizens, as God calls and Jesus commands, then we bring the truths of the victory of the kingdom of God into the reality of the realm of man. And when we begin to get a handle on that, all of a sudden, hope rises up. Maybe, just maybe, we don't have to live under the subjection of the oppression that defeats us every day. So that's, Adam, what the whole chapter on the kingdom, as, they go, as we go through it, and it's, it's filled with you know, corresponding verses, to establish that foundation and to help, again, you know, change the mind 
of believers who have been subject to the defeat that they see and understand the reality of what they've been given, that they can rise up and operate differently because they know that that's what the calling has always been all about. No, that's really good. Um, yeah, I, I know that I've talked to a lot of believers uh, specifically, and I, I said, you know, there's two Gospels. There's the Gospel of the Kingdom, and then there's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And people would literally throw the book at me and be like, I don't believe you, so on and so forth. And then literally I would take them to Scripture, and let's say you go to Acts 28, you go to the last two verses, it talks about Paul and says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he did both of those things. And both of those things, like you said, Jesus is the way to get into the kingdom. And then you start learning about who God is through relationship. And then you bring down his government on earth as it is in heaven. You're thus an ambassador and you are literally destroying the works of the devil because his reign is over now. That's what Jesus mm-hmm. won victory on the cross. Now God reigns through us. Of course, if we don't believe this or we reject what's being said, the Satan then has dominion over not only the, the believer, but the believer's mind and so on and so forth. So now you're, you're, you're exactly the walls are broken. Now, a lot of people are not suffering from, say, uh, possession, but oppression of the enemy. And that's the one thing that we're talking about, a victorious life in Christ. And that's why we are preparing people and equipping them to walk as Jesus did, which is exactly what Paul did. And Paul said, imitate me because I am of Christ. And you saw Paul's life and how he lived it. And a lot of people are challenged because I, I had a conversation with someone about, you know, you know, laying hands and praying for people and how the need is great. And the one person was so overwhelmed by the responsibility that he said, I can't do it. And and it's one of those things where it's like, then that's a decision that that has to be made. And every believer, are you willing to deny yourself completely and be obedient to Jesus Christ and his ministry? Because his ministry hasn't ended. It's, it's in us. We're fulfilling the very ministry of Jesus while we walk this earth. And we're to bring light into dark places. And, mm-hmm. the, and that's really the importance of it. And the kingdom of God, like you said in the beginning, it's, it's, it's not about um, getting to heaven. It's about heaven coming down into us. And now we have that reestablished relationship with God, just like Adam did in the garden prior to the fall. And that's why we are a new creation, breathe life into, because the life giver wants us to be a conduit for his grace, his mercy, his peace, his healing, all of the things that go along with what Jesus did. And it's so important to understand this kingdom because his kingdom reigns as much as we understand and we now uh, exude. And that's something that if we don't understand his government, if we don't understand really who our father is, we won't understand our purpose in this world right now. It's not a ticket to get into heaven, be like, okay, Lord, just take me off this this earth. It's like, no, he has a purpose, a plan for you, 
and he wants to use you to establish his reign on earth, his ministry on earth. And that's really what this kingdom of God is all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I can relate to the response of people many times with just get me off this earth. Just like, I just want to be done, you know, and the, the, they're living their whole lives. And I was one of them. I, that's why I understand. That's why it drove me to the scriptures to, you know, to, to find answers for these things. But when, as, as, as you begin to delve into and walk out the path that this book will take you through, scripture by scripture by scripture, the most wonderful thing and the most amazing thing is you quit wanting to get off of this world and in heaven because everywhere you are, the kingdom's made manifest. It doesn't make any difference where you're at. You're in the kingdom. As And as we continue, that's my exhortation to anyone who's listening that's new to this and who has not been exposed to this before. As you go through the book and you come across things that you're not sure of, there, there are things that you've not seen, not heard, or you've been taught that they're not to be done or not to be seen or heard, take it to the Lord. Go to God because these scriptures are equipping that God has provided for his people to trample on scorpions and serpents and over all of the power of the enemy. All means all. And when you can start to experience that, the joy that bubbles up and the victory that bubbles up, you start to recognize that the spirits of oppression, they all have names. The one, his name is fear. Another, his name is conflict and strife, you know. Another, his, his name is lying and deceit. And as you begin to recognize these, as you do this journey of greater and deeper intimacy with God, even as you said, Adam, the closer to the Lord you get, the more you look at him, the more you look like him, then a lot of things are born out of that greater discernment to know what you're looking at, what you're dealing with, greater understanding to how to take it not only out of your life, but out of the lives of all those under your care because you've been given a domain. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 when God talks to um, Adam and Eve and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it. We all live under this understanding that when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, mankind fell, and dominion of the earth was given over to Satan. So now we're all under his dominion. And then they also will believe that when you become saved, you're restored. But oftentimes we do not extend that understanding that our dominion's been restored. We're back to pre... When we come to a place in our salvation in Christ... There's restoration. We're brought back to the original article. We're given back our dominion. Satan no longer has dominion over us nor our realm. So, you know, to subdue means to bring under control and keep under control through consistent, earnest, diligent effort. That's what we're to do to our domain. A domain is that over which a person executes um, um, 
make it this way here. A domain is that which you exercise your authority to make decisions with regards to the course and destiny. That's what this whole kingdom of God is all about. It's God having restored to us that which was given up by Adam in the garden and through Christ it's been restored. We now have dominion returned to us. Are we going to take it and are we going to walk it or are we not going to believe that it's ours and continue to abdicate the dominion given to us now, not by sin, but by free choice to Satan and allow him to continue his rulership and reigning in our lives. But keep in mind, if you were to do that, then you are submitting to Christ in you under the dominion of Satan because by choice you're bringing yourself under his dominion and Christ is in you. Not a good choice. So that's just another piece of it that we have been called to subdue. So what's going on in my dominion that needs subduing? And am I making decisions with matter with regard to a matter's course and destiny? And as we go through this book, it will teach and train according to God's word how that is done. Because what does a kingdom do? A kingdom establishes its territory and it takes territory from opposing kingdoms. We that's what this is all about, is taking territory from Satan. It's making God's kingdom bigger, and it's taking territory from Satan every time we walk in the fullness of this. No, that's that's really good, um, and you said a lot right there. And honestly, like, I mean, I first go back to you know Philippians, and this just goes with a a, a believer that is like, oh, just take me off this earth, okay? So let's look to see what Paul was saying. He says, uh, and this is in chapter one. And it says, verse 24, so chapter 1, verse 24, says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Because in verse 23, it says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We all know that heaven, like being in the very, very presence of God, if we pass on our flesh, our body fails, now we are with the Lord. That is way better. Paul knew this. But, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He realized he completely denied himself, Paul did, because he knew what was at stake. He knew that it was better for him to be on this earth than to be in heaven because there was a mission for Paul, and he knew it, and he knew his purpose, he knew his place. And uh, you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the Garden of Eden, the domain of God was right there. Like, you had Eden— and then you had a garden in Eden, and that was the very presence of God. And then that presence went into, once the fall happened, went into the temple, went into his holy of holies. That's where it was. But then we become that very temple, not made by human hands. And we literally, if you look at it from this standpoint, it's we are bringing the very presence and the very garden of Eden to earth right now. So wherever we walk, though that dominion, that place, that presence moves with us. And that's what kind of related to a tree of life. Like we, in essence, are the tree of life, giving life to other people, just like Jesus did, because Jesus lives in us. 
And the more we deny ourselves and empty ourselves, the more full of this presence we can be. That's why Peter's shadow was healing people, because the very presence of God, the dominion of God, was outpouring and flooding him so much that he was a walking garden. And then when people would come close to him, they were literally walking into the very presence of God, the very garden of God, just like the Garden of Eden, and it was setting people free. Same thing with Paul's Mm -hmm. handkerchief. That very presence of God was on the handkerchief, and it was delivering people of demons, of and it was healing them. It was amazing what was happening at that time of that outpouring. And that same Holy Spirit, that same presence is with us, and it's with us right now. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The one thing that people really don't understand is Jesus was fighting an armed opponent while we are fighting a disarmed opponent because Jesus disarmed all of these things for us to set us free, to have his kingdom reign in us and through us. So we are in a great place right now and Paul understood that. He also understood that he really did want to be with the Lord, but he knew, he counted the cost. He counted the cost. Mm -hmm. He knew, he knew what he was doing, and he knew that it was better for him to stay and to reign here with Christ on earth as it is in heaven. And that was what was reestablished because of the cross. Exactly. And I love your illustration with Peter and how... It was evident, and it was recorded for us to to see also the evidence that when Peter showed up, he carried the kingdom with him wherever he went, even as you said. And the reason people got healed wasn't because of the shadow. It was because the truth of the kingdom of God intersected with the reality of the realm of men. And then the reality of the realm of men had to line up with the truth of the kingdom of God. They were healed. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was the experience of Paul and Peter, and you know, just in, I don't know we're at on time, but just to say this also, and this is probably addressed later on. Jesus's favorite term that he used for himself was "son of man," and the reason is that when he referred to himself as "son of man." What he was saying or revealing was everything that I'm doing, you as a son of man can do too. I'm the patterned son. I'm the pattern. If you look up the definition of pattern, it is an imprint such that that which follows bears an identical design. It says in the book of Hebrews that he was a forerunner for us into a new and better way. A forerunner by definition, biblical definition. I'm not in the Webster's Dictionary. I am looking in these biblical definitions and what these words meant. One who goes ahead of another where which to clear the way therein for them to follow. And he said himself, it is enough that the... The, the the student be as his teacher or as the servant be as his master. And if you look at those words, that word as, in your biblical dictionary, <laughs> it's a very, very, very long definition. It means basically to walk in such like manner, a manner as, such that it's 
difficult, if not impossible, to distinguish between where the one begins and the other ends because they are of such identical that one is as the other. So Jesus uses this term, son of man, because he wanted us to know that he is setting an example for us to follow. He's the pattern. He's the pattern son. And he said that, you know, we talked about this before too in Hebrews 12, 38. If I cast out devils by the spirit of God, Jesus did not cast out devils by virtue of his divinity. He could have. He chose not to. He was the pattern son. He's saying, I'm doing this by the Holy Spirit of God, which is why when he went to his hometown, he could do very little works there because the unbelief of those in the town quenched the spirit. So he was able to do some, but not as much, because he was doing it by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that resides in you and me. These are just three different examples or comments of the scriptural um, validation, confirmation, when you look at these words and what they mean, that support the truthfulness of the statement that as he is, so are we in this world. It can be done. It's a journey, and it begins in the oracle of God, where God can reveal to you what needs to be done, and part of that journey, a big part of it, is putting the death of flesh, cutting off whatever it is that's keeping that from being made manifest in our lives, and it's different for everyone. No one knows exactly what they need to do. It'll be God who reveals it in the oracle. He just needs for you to come. No, that's really good, um, what you said there, and um, I know you know, from a discipleship standpoint, you know, in the Hebrew culture, you know, that disciple would look like the rabbi. I mean, it would, he would eat the same way, sleep the same way, dress the same way, even how he would walk. If the, the rabbi would walk slow, that's how the disciple would train himself to walk exactly like the rabbi, even how he cleaned, same thing. And then that's why you get to Peter when the big storm's happening and they see Jesus walking on water. Now remember, anything that Jesus did, those 12 disciples said, if you can do it, Rabbi, I can do it. And that was their mindset, and that's the mindset that we need to have. So getting back to that storm, that's why Peter says, if it is you, like say it, and I'll come out there and join you. And so here you have Peter now sees that if Jesus is walking on water, I'm going to walk on water. And that was the Hebrew mindset. And it's so important. You mentioned the oracle. I mean, that's the secret place, getting into those secret places of, of with God, that, that time, that intimacy with him. And that's what Jesus did. He got alone with the Father so many times in his walk. He spent hours upon hours upon hours. Now, the more you spend time looking at, studying, understanding, the more you become, the more your thought processes start transforming who you are and the actions that you're going to be doing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's so great. Uh, do you want to just real quickly just kind of talk about the oracle, uh, and then we'll probably stop there. Thank you. Yes. So that was actually the beginning of the journey 
um, it talked about in First Peter, if any man were to speak, let him speak as an oracle of God. That root word, the bar, means to to speak, to declare. It's a verbal, it's an oral, it's a sound exuded from the voice. This would be more like, I say, the rima or spoken word of God versus the logos, written word of God. And um, if you were to trace that word and find its first use in scripture, which then would be the foundation for uh, an accurate understanding, we see its first use in the description of Solomon building the temple of God. And he identified the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place, and the most holy place was was called the oracle. And what is interesting is I'm sure, you know, many of the listeners know the Oracle or the most holy place was where only the high priest could enter once a year. And he would go in with the Urmum and the Thummim, and that would be life and perfection, the stones that would give them the, 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 the decrees of the Lord, which picture the Holy Spirit in the New Testament believer. And, it was from the oracle that God would declare his decrees for the nation with regards to what am I going to do with, you know, this battle or this war. So when we're talking about the oracle of God, it's, it's got it's, it's many levels, many layered, but it is originally and still to this day the most holy place. It's a place where divine decrees are, are spoken for the execution they're spoken by God to his, his, um, his high priest, to his priest. And the priest then would execute the command because he heard them in the Oracle. Then as we go to the new Testament, we see that we're to speak as an Oracle. We're to speak as one who hears directly from God, the plans, the purposes, the, the, the thoughts, the desires of God for the, um, for the priest to accomplish the purpose at that time. So that's that's really what the Oracle is about, and that was actually the springboard of the entire uh, book, um, the Overcome, you know, Prepare to Overcome. And as we, we continue to go through the book, it'll become more and more clear the significance of this word and how the application in the lives of the believer would transform them to becoming the fulfillment of all God intended his people to be. That's great. No, that's amazing. And that's what God has called all of us to partake in, to partake in his presence, to partake in intimacy with him. He's reestablished the same relationship he had with Adam prior to the fall. So he's able to be walking with the Lord, understanding and actually hearing from the Lord. And I know that Getting back to just the kingdom of God, I know the Jewish people were thinking, man, when Jesus comes or when this Savior comes, he's going to take over the government. He's going to do this, and he's going to set himself as like king over all the... He did. He did. It was spiritual. It was a spiritual reign. See, Mm -hmm. the Jewish people were looking at it from a physical standpoint, and that's why Jesus says... It's in your midst. It's in you. It is a reigning. It's a spiritual reign, a spiritual freedom, a spiritual government that is taking place right now. And that is why it's so important. Go back to chapter one, rebuilding the walls, and now the kingdom of God 
is at hand. Thank you so much, Debbie, for your time, and I look forward to the next chapter, and the next chapter is repentance, which is changing the way you think. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adam.